Welcome back to the RCF Podcast. I'm here today with my lovely wife, Alice, once again. Great to be back with you on the podcast. Alice, now there's talk of revivals happening, outpourings of the Spirit, awakenings. A lot of terms are being used to describe things that are happening on college campuses. Should we seek after these things? Is that something that is good and helpful Or are there cautions? Are there things that we should beware of? Should we just blindly follow everyone else's lead? Or how do we test the spirits as 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 tells us to do? Those are some great questions. And I, I think another good question is to be asking what's drawing people to these gatherings? A lot of what we hear is to feel the presence of God. So many people claim in this type of setting, and I think this is important to note that it's it's not just at these revival gatherings, but this can happen in many other contexts as well. But People are drawn to feeling the presence of God, which I don't know that we necessarily see that in Scripture, that we feel the presence of God, but I think that's one of the things that's drawing people in this context. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit, and so we're always in the presence of God. Even those who aren't believers are always in the presence of God because God is omnipresent. And so there are things you can feel. You can feel conviction. You can feel joy. But where where do those things ultimately come from? And are those just feelings? Basically, it boils down to the fact that you don't have to go to a specific place to feel the presence of God because you're always in the presence of God. You know, in John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus said, the time is coming when and you won't worship on this or that mountain. Why? They were used to going to the temple to worship, and you only really encountered God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, mm-hmm. um, or that the priest met with God. This is one of the things that changed because Jesus came, because Jesus was crucified. We know that when he was on the cross, the veil was torn. It's no longer in the Holy of Holies that God would meet with his people but now it's through Jesus. And so in your dorm room or in your car, wherever you are, we don't have to go somewhere to get this filling of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to a certain place to do that. There's this idea that we need to do that, but it's, it's almost an Old Testament, or I guess it is really an Old Testament idea of we have to go to this specific place where God is right now. We got to catch him while he's home and then <laughs> before he leaves, and that's where I'll encounter him. That's where I'll feel his presence. And that's not a New Testament idea. Right. It almost has this sense of people are gathering together to have an emotional experience. And maybe that's what they mean by feeling the presence of God, is they have an emotional experience. It's almost like if you go to church camp in the summer as a kid or as a teenager, you go and you have this spiritual high. You're out of your normal environment. There can be a lot of emotions. I remember going to youth camp, you know, as a teenager with my church group. There was always, usually on Thursday night, you know, there's the altar call where it's come receive Jesus or rededicate your life. And tons of people go down to the front. There's a lot of crying. And then even after that, it overflows back into, you know, you go back to your bunk and, you know, all the other girls in the bunk room are still talking about what they're feeling and they're confessing to each other. And there's a lot of tears and there's a lot of hugging and there's a lot of emotion. 
and it tends to spread. So as one person confesses something and is crying, you know, that prompts somebody else to confess something and they're crying. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody feels like they need to confess something and cry. <laughs> and whether they actually are genuine in their confession or not, whether it's genuine repentance or not, they at least feel like they want to participate in the group activity. Part of the problem with having those emotional experiences and attributing that to feeling the presence of God is that you always feel like you have to have an emotional experience to be in the presence of God. And that's absolutely a problem, and that's not biblical at all. That's not scriptural. Yeah, there's certainly nothing wrong with these extended worship times or youth camp or whatever it is where you feel those emotions. They aren't bad things. They shouldn't be what we seek. They aren't an end in and of themselves. Right. And they should merely be the reminder for us to keep our eyes on the Lord in every day. But the problem is a lot of times we go to youth camp or we go to this revival service or the, the extended worship time, or we could even say a Christian worship concert. We go to these things, we experience this spiritual high and then we come crashing down because the next morning we go back to work or we go back to school. My concern is that too many people too often seek these experiences as an end in themselves. Mm. And so it leads to just chasing spiritual highs which is not healthy, and it's certainly not biblical. Well, and ultimately you're not seeking God himself, you're seeking the feelings. Right. Well, and one of the questions you have to ask is, if I only feel the presence of God when I go to a revival service or to a worship concert or to church camp or any of these places, but my time alone with God, I don't feel that? I don't feel that when I open up his word in the morning and spend time in prayer. It ends up, that's a letdown for you. Mm. Um, that's really a scary thought because what in the world was I actually worshiping the night before or the week before? Whatever. Good question, yeah. If I was at that event, what was I actually seeking? And so it should be, as we pointed out earlier, if God is present with us, if we don't have to go to a specific place to worship him, then I should be able to worship him wherever. I should be able to know his presence, whether I feel it or not, when I spend time with him. Absolutely. I mean, his word tells us that he is with us. I think of like Psalm 139, I think it's verses 7 through 10 that talk about there's no place you can go to flee from the presence of God. I think of Hebrews 13, 5 that says he will never leave you or forsake you. I mean, there's so many verses throughout scripture that talk about his presence and, and how he is always with us. Matthew 20. 2820, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Or even Psalm 23, when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Mm. And, and so even in that very difficult time, God is with you. And he specifically mentions that, not on the mountaintop. So that that's not what we seek. If you are a child of God, if you are a believer in Christ, God has promised to be with you, not only when two or more are gathered in his name, mm -hmm. which is one of the most misunderstood, misquoted verses of the Bible, because that's actually talking about church discipline in that context. But he's not only with you when two or more are gathered, if God is only with you when two or more are gathered, then what about when you're stuck in, in the dorm room alone? Is God not with you? 
So I want to remind you, Christian, that God has promised to be with you always. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to go seek him in some other place. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, he is there with you and you are in his presence. Amen. (laughs) Another aspect to this is I'm hearing of people going to these gatherings in order to, in a sense, catch the Holy Spirit and then take him back to maybe their campus and start a revival someplace else. I guess hoping that revival will spread to their campus as well. But again, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. You can't catch him. <laughs> He's not like a like a cold or a disease or something that you catch and you take back and spread to your family. And we don't get to spread him right. at, at our <laughs> will, like as if it's he's ours to distribute or his workings are ours to distribute. Exactly. Yeah. God is with us. Do we believe that um, even if we don't feel it? Or do we think we need to go find him? We need to experience something more. (laughs) Right, exactly. And in fact, I was watching a little clip of a news broadcast, and they were interviewing a man, and he said something along the lines of, I've got the Holy Spirit, but I'm always looking for more. That's really sad, because if you have the Holy Spirit... What more could you want? Right, what more is there? As a Christian, yeah, we have God, we have his word. He doesn't tell us to seek after any kind of experiences or anything like that, which we actually talked about that on previous podcasts and talking about the Apostle Peter of how he experienced the mountaintop with the transfiguration of Jesus. Yet he says, but you have the word, you have something even better Mm -hmm. uh, than, than that experience. Those experiences only last for a short time. They're not meant to ultimately sustain us. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, what do we do? We immerse ourselves in the Word of God. This is the Spirit's inspired Word. Immerse yourself in the Word of God. Let the Spirit-inspired Word fill you and see what happens. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean taking in a bunch of songs, right? That's another thing that that we're seeing with some of these revival services or these events that are happening. Those songs are not Spirit-inspired, inerrant words of God, right? Right. Um, Even the old hymns. And there is such an emphasis on singing. It seems like in a lot of these gatherings, it's primarily singing. It's primarily music. It's less or even no emphasis on teaching the word, preaching Mm -hmm. the word. There's a heavy emphasis on the music, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, obviously throughout the Bible, we do see songs of praise to the Lord. I mean, that is definitely a huge part of the Bible. But it's funny because I was looking through the New Testament, just kind of scrolling through the Gospels. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... And in fact, it's only mentioned in Matthew and Mark after the Last Supper, um, when Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, it says, they sang a hymn and then they went to the Mount of Olives. That is the only reference we have in the entire Bible of Jesus while he's on earth singing. In fact, it just says they sang a hymn. But we see time and time again, all throughout the four Gospels, we see Jesus teaching. So yeah, so I, I think some of these gatherings have, have the order reversed. They have the, their priorities reversed in emphasizing so much of the music and de-emphasizing the reading of the word and the preaching of the scriptures. Yeah, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another 
And then it says singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, right? So so there is that reference there in Colossians, and I believe Ephesians 5 uh, references singing as well. So there are a couple of references to that, but it's tied in with the Word. I wonder at some of these gatherings and some of the things that I've been to in, in the past where it's those extended worship, you know, what would happen if there were hours of preaching and teaching, would the place empty out? Think about if there were good, solid preaching and teaching during those times and and we responded in worship. That's really what the hymns and the songs are supposed to be, is a response to the gospel. And so as we hear the word preached and taught, we respond in song. You're exactly right. It shouldn't be reversed. Mostly singing and a little bit of preaching just to to feel like we're including the word in this. (laughs) I heard a, a podcaster ask a really good question. She asked, would a progressive Christian be comfortable in this setting? And I think as you and I were talking, you said, Uh, Would a fake Christian feel good in this setting? So as we're testing these things, we should think through that question. And if a fake Christian or or basically an unbeliever, they can walk in, feel like, hey, this is cool, and I get this emotional experience, that should be a concern. That's why the Word of God being preached is so important. And the true revivals that we've seen happen in history— I mean, you think of Jonathan Edwards and his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That was not a light, fluffy sermon. Feel good. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's important. We just studied Luke chapter 12, where Jesus said, hey, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword. I came to divide. And so what Jesus does is divide the, the believers and the unbelievers. If our worship services, if they merely make people comfortable, I don't know that we can say that that we're truly preaching and teaching the gospel there. Right. Another aspect of a true revival is going to be repentance. Mm -hmm. As the word of God is preached, people should be convicted of their sins as they hear the truth, and that should lead to repentance. And you you hear of of people repenting and confessing in a lot of these gatherings, um, and I pray that those are genuine. I pray that that it is genuine repentance happening, and and I believe that there is some genuine repentance happening, but there can be this feeling of like oh everybody's repenting, I got to repent of something too, and it's not genuine. It's more emotional, right? It's more of an emotional thing, or you have people that are feeling remorse or regret about some things but there's not actual repentance. There's a difference between remorse and repentance because repentance actually leads to change, whereas remorse just leads to feeling bad. And can we really know if someone has repented or sometimes if we have really repented, we have to let that bear its fruit over time, right? right? That Mm -hmm. one commentator said that repentance is both intellectual and volitional and then, though not necessarily emotional. Mm. So I think a lot of times we immediately tie an emotion with repentance, and repentance is a real turnaround, he said, of one's life in respect to sinful conduct. And we don't necessarily see that overnight. It, It reminds me of some of the guys that I've ministered to over the years that they've admitted their struggle with pornography, they'll come to me and say, hey, I've I've changed. I've repented of that. And I'm like, when did this happen? They're like, oh, three days ago, maybe a week, two weeks, six weeks goes by. And very often these guys will come back and say, yeah, I'm right back in it. 
I'm struggling again. That wasn't repentance because if you're right back in it, you haven't had a change of mind. You haven't had a change in direction. And so I think this is where usually the emotional aspect, the regret and some of those kind of things come in and we think that that's repentance. Mm. That's true. Yeah. And we can in our flesh restrain from sin for a little while. That happens a lot. You know, we think we've repented and we in our own power restrain from committing that sin for a while. But if our heart hasn't truly changed, we will just go right back to it because our our flesh is still in control. We haven't killed that sin. We haven't truly repented. I like Matthew 3, 8, where some Pharisees have come to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he tells them, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so our repentance should bear fruit. I think he was calling them out for false repentance there. Right. The same is true for us. I mean, we need to, if we have truly repented, we will bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. Mm-hmm. If not, we haven't truly repented. There's a lot more that we could say, I think, about this. But what we wanted to highlight here is, one, remembering that God is always present. If you are a believer, he is with you to remember that his word is sufficient You don't need an extra experience. You don't need something else besides the Holy Spirit in you and his inspired word. And then the aspect of repentance. You can do that wherever you are, Mm -hmm. right? It doesn't take a big event for your heart to be changed. If you spend time with God in his word, in prayer, genuine repentance can take place right then and there, wherever you are. And so I think those are important things for us to remember and certainly to check a revival service and make sure that it isn't just an emotional high that you're seeking. One last thing that I think we should point out is that revival, if we're going to use that term, it's actually not in scripture, but if we're going to use that term, the revival I think is a lot more low-key than we imagine. It's basically, you know, if God chooses to use preaching and teaching of his word in such a way that many people come to Christ at one time, many people repent of their sins and believe the gospel and start walking in obedience to Christ. There's a a book called The Fuel and the Flame, and they pointed out if a great evangelist were to win a thousand people a day to Christ, we would all be amazed and full of praise to God. Even though we might stand on the sidelines and cheer them on, it would still take them tens of thousands of years to win the world to Christ at today's population. But they said, but suppose I led you to Christ and spent a year building deep into your life, and then we both turned around and did the same for someone else the following year. Now there are four of us, and we would begin this third year of ministry by each finding another person to win and disciple. And if the chain remained unbroken, the enormous power of multiplication would kick in, and the world would be won in an incredibly short 33 years. I think that's a powerful illustration for us to think about because we would love to see arenas full of people, but it's really easy for us to sit on the sideline, right, at those types of things. And we can sing worship songs, and and that makes us feel good, but we're sitting on the sidelines. Are we actually going and making disciples? That's what we're called to do. Do we want to see revival break out? 
If we want to see God move, recognize if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You have that ability to go share the gospel and let him use you in order to reach a few people who may in turn reach thousands. That is, yeah, multiplication is really the best way. And it avoids a lot of the complications of some of these event-driven things, some of the manipulation of emotions that can take place. And I mean, we all know even if it's not intentional, that can happen with the music and, you know, all of these things, our emotions get going. And so we can be manipulated and we can manipulate others. And and so you avoid that aspect of it. You avoid the social media frenzy that's taking place with some of these things that is really stirring up some of that manipulation. And so uh, some of these problematic things, I think they're avoided by simply going and making disciples, Mm. which is what we're called to do. Being faithful to the Great Commission, as Jesus called us to in Matthew 28. Yeah, Right. Alice, I think we are out of time, but thank you for stepping in and talking with us. My pleasure. And thank you for listening to the RCF podcast. You can learn more about RCF on our website, roadiefellowship.com, or visit us on Instagram at roadiefellowship.